Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen O'Sullivan and I am the host of this show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders and experts in the field of leadership of self and others, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past potential fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. We want you to be you, to be at your best and to show up in the most authentic way. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello, you all. I hope you are doing well. We are approaching the end of the year and I can't believe that um, it's not even four weeks to go. It's crazy. But you know what? Um, towards the end of the year, at least here in Europe, there is a sense of change in the air. Uh, in particular, in my role as a leadership coach, I speak to individuals and teams who feel insecure, who um, are thinking about, should I initiate some change or should I leave it uh, at the end of the year? Because, you know, fresh new year, fresh start, uh, positions open up again, maybe I pause it for now. But for some people, there's no choice because there are, uh, there are changes all around them, professional changes, personal changes, whatever it means. And there are a, a small amount of people, I would say, who feel truly, truly comfortable when it comes to change. And here we go. If we look at the change curves, uh, for example, by Kubler-Ross, we will see that change usually hits us on an okay level, because first of all, we need to make sense of it all. But then it either goes up emotionally or down. Up in a positive change, when we feel proud about something, when we're happy about a change, we might have a new leader we really enjoy and like. And then there are the challenging changes. And those could be that my role has been made redundant. I'm now working with a leader I don't know yet, I don't trust, and I really loved my previous leader. Loved, you know what I mean. I really had respect for them. We got on well and so on and so forth. Or it could mean that I'm experiencing some personal changes that feel really hard. Yeah, a friend of mine suffered from a miscarriage the other day. And that is a very, very challenging process to go through. And it will likely take time to digest that experience, to work through the pain and the grief. Change, and it depends on the change, has a variety of impacts on us. And it is in particular for us as leaders so important to think about not just how we get through change, because yeah, we can get through it and then the next one starts already again, but how we feel more comfortable to change ourselves, how we make sense of it. It's also important that we feel into the changes in order to help the people around us with them as well. And I've invited an expert on the show today to talk about how to communicate through change. And communication isn't just about telling people what to do. There are so many other facets, and it also includes listening, by the way, and listening intentively, actively with full empathy. And um, we are talking about so many different topics. What does change mean? What are examples of change? How do we manage ourselves through change? And what do we need to do in order to help other people? But also, what are some of the traps that we um, step into when it comes to change? 
who are the people around us we focus on right away? Who might we not be focusing on or even trying to escape to a certain extent? What are the big mistakes organizations and leaders make when it comes to communication in organizations, in particular communication through change? And it is so uh, wonderful to hear from our guest today about her experience with change, how change can bring personal and emotional challenges with it, and how she is experiencing that and dealing with it herself. Now, now that I've triggered your curiosity, I hope so at least, let me introduce our guest for today to you. Her name is Ulrike Seminati, and she's a globally operating coach, trainer, and consultant who brings a wealth of experience as a former C-level executive to her expertise in authentic leadership and impactful communication. By blending the latest self-development methodologies with her extensive practical experience in leading across all levels of hierarchy, she enables leaders to establish trust and lead change through effective communication. And Ulrike's clients benefit from her pragmatic and user-friendly tools that enable them to make lasting improvements. And what those improvements could feel and look like, what the hurdles are to get to those improvements, well, let's discuss that here all together. So enjoy today's episode, and I can't wait for you to share your questions and feedback. Hello, hello, and welcome, Ulrike. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you, and you? I am well. Um, I, I just mentioned it's a grey day today, and I feel a bit autumnal, but the lower end of autumnal today. <laughs> and for people who uh, can see me at some point, this is a very colourful background, which I needed today. I needed colour in my life. I can understand that. We had yesterday still sun and sitting outside, you know, even had lunch outside because it was okay-ish. And today it's like, oh God, now it's over. <laughs> yeah, the autumn blues, the autumn winter blues is starting. <laughs> it is. But how good is it that you work in an international setup, which means you may have the opportunity to go to some warmer areas in this gray period of time and work with some exciting organizations and individuals. Is there anything that's already planned? Not for the moment. I have quite a lot of contacts in Dubai. And I was unfortunate enough to have appointments in August. <laughs> it's exactly the time to not go there. Yeah. So maybe something coming up in maybe in November or in January, that would be actually marvelous because that's a wonderful time to go there to escape the European winter and go to 25 degrees, which is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. but sometimes, sometimes you're lucky with that. And sometimes it's exactly the opposite. <laughs> and you are based in Switzerland, aren't you? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I'm celebrating a little bit of a premiere here today because Ulrike is the first German national that I'm interviewing. Being German myself, obviously, uh, we decided to speak in English, A, that's our work language, and B, I want all of you to be able to listen to this episode, knowing that a lot of you are multilingual and would understand it, obviously. But it's a global podcast with a lot of learning nuggets and insights for a lot of people in different uh, countries across the globe. So therefore, it's lovely to have you and to gain some fellow German insights into the global work. And I am so curious, first of all, about everything you offer to your clients. What is it you are in service of? 
So I help leaders to become change agents. And it's something that I do while I help them to communicate with impact and to be authentic leaders as well. Because I think that change is the one thing that leaders have to lead today. Every single day, there's no job without change anymore. And we all know already for a while that it's getting faster and faster and it will not uh, stop. It will continue to be faster and faster. And I think it's super important to manage that, especially as, well, change is something that most people don't like. Maybe the leader is herself or himself, they don't like it either. <laughs> and then it's getting really complicated. So I think it's quite a burden. And that's what I'm doing for a living, really helping leaders to, to get through that in an emotionally positive way, in a more stable way, you know, in a way where they feel like integrity with themselves and not putting up the mask of the agile leader that they have to be, mm. but instead of that, just being the person that they are and embracing it from their true perspective, which is sometimes tricky, but it's doable. And I think it's important. So that's what I do for, for a living. <laughs> it's, it's a true mission. It's a true purpose because I think it's a painful thing for people. And I want to remove that pain and help them to get into something with more ease and joy. And I'm doing trainings, one-on-one -on -one coachings. Often I combine both, which is mm -hmm. very powerful because in the one-in-one, -on -one, obviously, people go much deeper into the learning of the training. In the training, they still are in front of other people, um, even their colleagues most oftentimes. And that is sometimes a bit tricky to, yeah. to, yeah, to show who you truly are, to show your real worries, to show your real concerns, and to also really move into your strengths in that moment. So, yeah, that's what I'm, what I'm mainly doing. And, um, yeah, <laughs> so I love it. <laughs> and it's the second time I meet you and you truly come across as if you love it. It feels truly authentic to me and very much in line with all the posts on social media or the website. I, I say it again, it feels truly authentic. And when I read about your story, I had a few moments of resonance. A lot of parts of your story felt was like my story and I'm, I'm nowhere near saying, oh, we have the same story. I think each and every individual story is very, very different. But there was a bit of a path, if I understood that correctly, from the mask and the masking at work to feeling that real you. And that's the topic I would like to delve into first with you. How did you become your or re-identify your real authentic self? It takes time. I think it's the first thing really to admit. There's so many people out there who say, I don't know, discover your true potential in a week or two days of training and you release your full potential. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, you will start a process. Yes, yeah. if it's a good training. But it's really a process which you can hardly accelerate. And you can definitely, and you have to work on it if you want to get somewhere. But it's hard to accelerate it because it takes its time. Mm -hmm. And it took me a long time. So I'm certainly not the fastest one who had a revelation. And six months later, I was a, another version of myself. I finally, you know, was blossoming and blooming and it was all great. No, it wasn't like that. I realized it really step by step. And I realized when I stepped out of my corporate career now nearly five years ago already. Yeah, indeed. Wow. Time is flying by. Mm. That after these 23 years in this corporate world, I was never myself. And I've never seen it while I was there. I, I was feeling that I was struggling with my confidence, that I was feeling like an imposter. I was aware of that. Uh, especially when I wasn't that C-level role, I was I was the youngest. I was one of two women, but the other woman was very 
how to say, more like a man. <laughs> and so I felt like being a bit awkward in that setting and that I have to fit in. And so I was always searching for a best version of myself that fits in. And I was always performing as well. This was super important for me because I'm a perfectionist. So I was really in that trap. And I only realized when I was stepping out of that, and really only step by step afterwards, it was not like one week out of that and I saw it finally. No, it needed really, really time that that I had spent a lot of energy into being someone else, a lot of energy into being that perfect leader for exactly the role that I had at that moment, delivering the perfect results. Everything was always wonderful. I was super reliable. I had wonderful performance reviews always. And still I was doubting about myself. And I realized how much pain I did to myself, completely useless pain. And so I also realized that I'm certainly not the only one in that situation. <laughs> no, hands up. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. And so another thing that I realized is that I became really very clear on how much stepping out of your comfort zone with each new role that you take on, or in that moment, the fact that I was creating my own business, that put me bluntly face front into the situation. Wow, now you really have to be your best version of yourself, because if not, it will not work. And I realized in that moment how much pressure I put on myself, but also the amount of self-doubts that I really had because I was really looking at them for the first time, honestly, and, and admitting how big they were, actually. And that helped me to, over time, overcome that. And I did many different techniques. So all the coaching trainings and certifications that I did myself, when you do that, you do a lot of self-coaching or are coached mm -hmm. by others. So obviously, that was a full process, which helped me a lot to realize the whole, the whole bunch of, I don't know, baggage that I was carrying with me, literally, yes. how to just let it go and be authentic with the risk of not being perfect. So that was, in short, my challenge. And I think that's the challenge of many people. How can I still, you know, satisfy this need of being perfect or at least very, very good? This high level of self-expectation while still being authentic, while I think when I'm authentic, I'm obviously not perfect because nobody is. <laughs> so, so, you know, the conflict somehow, an inner conflict that you have there. And that, that was a bit my journey where I realized it's important to do that, not only for me, but for others also, because only when people let go of that, that false image of themselves that they absolutely want to create, and I think it's very much reinforced by social media today as well, obviously, uh, let alone also all the technical stuff like filters who help you to be even more perfect also visually. Yeah. And how all of that influences the self-image that you have and at the end the self-esteem. Because how can you really appreciate your own personality when you permanently try to mask it or to falsify it or to optimize it towards others so that they believe that you're somehow better than you truly are? And I want to get out of that. I wanted to get out of that myself. And it's still a permanent, I would say some kind of taking conscious, being conscious about that every day again, because you, you, I could slip certainly not into very old habits anymore because I can't, I would see it, but certainly I could slip quickly into a bit of a, you know, lower energy mindset, not really self-doubt, but a little bit of uh, more worry, more anxiety could come up and I feel that coming. And so I'm managing it every day myself because I think it's just natural that this comes up here and there. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's a bit the personal story. I was weaving in now some personal, some professional story, but that is actually the, the story behind that. And I know that many people, when I give trainings, for example, 
I bring in a lot of energy and this energy is just coming naturally. I nearly have to even diminish it a bit because if not, it's too overwhelming sometimes yeah. for people. But even so, there's this huge energy and I feel it and I feel I'm in the flow because I feel I'm in the thing that I love. Mm -hmm. I, I'm really in the right place. That's the perfect thing. This is natural to me now because now that's the situation. But two years ago or three years ago, I would have gone to that training, preparing, preparing everything that I will say, you know, my whole introduction, I would be perfectly, would be perfectly prepared every single step in the training. Today, I go there with an agenda that is um, relatively rough. I know what topics we will do, what exercises we will do, obviously, but I don't prepare all the bits in between at all anymore. And that is totally different from going there with this, I have to deliver it exactly like that. Or going then, I go with the flow. Let's see how this audience reacts, what they really need. Mm -hmm. And with that, I will say what just comes to my mind in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn that because that's, I think, being authentic. Because the other version is a prepared version and you lose your authenticity and you lose your impact. Even if you say exactly the same words at the end, it's not at all the same impact. I was just about to ask what you notice about not only yourself, but also the audience then when you are more in the moment, reading the room, reacting to their emotions and reactions. Yeah, what's happening? They are all full ear. I don't know. It's so, wow. I would say maybe it's an icebreaker, an immediate one, mm -hmm. because human beings feel that intuitively, immediately. So even those, because they're always the scepticals who have been sent to their training by their leadership and they have absolutely no motivation to be there. Yeah? <laughs> you always have of course. a quarter or two or three in a group like that. And you see them immediately. I mean, it's obvious by the body language, it's just clear. And these guys would need probably, if I did it just in a very professional way, but not in the purely authentic way, they'd need maybe three, four hours, you know, to somehow embrace the whole thing and participate a bit more lively in all the discussions. Whereas if I'm really myself, after a few minutes already, I see how they change. And this is so magic. And it feels really, I'm always in this moment so just graceful for that, you know, that I don't know that this kind of, I, I would call it courage, because for me, it, 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 I needed to be courageous in the beginning to really do that, to let go of the control before, because, because I'm a control freak, like many people and many leaders <laughs> by nature, let go of the control and just go with the flow. And then seeing this miracle happening each time, it's just like, it's so easy to, you know, people always say, how oh, it's so difficult to get buy-in, to build trust, to build relationships, to build a connection. Well, there, there it is. You know, just be yourself, be honest, stand up for what you think by being still respectful with the other person, even if they have a totally different opinion of things. Listen to them if they have a totally different opinion of things first. And then respond, you know, with what you feel is the best answer. But at the end, it's really about being yourself. And then, boom, everything comes. Trust, buying, connection, everything is there. You know what? I couldn't agree more. And again, actually, this path, this journey really resonates with me. And last week, I delivered, co-delivered a workshop to a group of top C-suite leaders. And the other person came from the corporate um, world and was a part of that organization and so therefore more in the system 
and delivering a part of the workshop in her own way, but it was more composed, more professional, whatever you want to call professional, that's what I call professional composed and very kind of careful what to say with the different people. My new me or my latest me is exactly what you just described. I let it flow. I pay attention to the audience. I feel into my own energy. And I fully agree, by the way, as well. Sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming. So you have to probably move back a little bit. Anyway, I noticed in myself, Ulrike, that I started to have self-doubts in that moment. Because I was wondering as to whether my authenticity versus the co-facilitator's more corporate style was something that was wanted and accepted. And weirdly enough, we were amongst other topics talking about authenticity. And um, I mentioned Dr. Um, what's his name? Yoshino, Kenji Yoshino's work on covering. And he says that when we cover at work, i.e. we bend out of shape, we try to fit in so hard that we get so distracted by how to fit in that we lose sight of the actual performance and our best performance and just being ourselves. And I noticed how all of that was going on for me. And I've been doing that work now for nearly five years as a business owner. And I just want to share it because I think it's important for people to know it's an ongoing journey, as you highlighted it as well. It isn't, oh, you are now trained to become a coach, a trainer, or whatever you train to be. And now all of these self-doubts are gone. They will come back, just not anymore to the same level of strength and power. And B, you recognize them quicker and you learn tools to then deal with them. But yeah, have you recently or in your career so far experienced a situation like that where in the moment you became so aware of your insecurities, perhaps covering as well. And how did you deal with that? Yes, I sometimes become aware. <laughs> you know what I have? I, I'm, I'm 50 year old now. Yeah, I still feel like a little girl sometimes. Yeah, Especially when I'm in front of men who are older, now that I'm 50 myself you know what is old, what is older now in the, in the business yeah. you know I mean but even today you know even today I always had that that towards men in the, in their 50s or even in their 60s I don't know they were for me like authority persons and I was always feeling like being less good you know less professional less less whatever less important for sure and all of that this is still there somehow this is really a, a very clear trigger for me and I feel then that in this moment, I tend to slip into this persona of being of being very serious and very professional yeah. and speak more carefully and choose my words and not being spontaneous, you know, not just brood dropping what comes to my mind. And yeah, the body language as well that I start again looking at how do I stand? Do I stand correctly? What do I do with my hands? You know, just being, being aware and who. And I realized that in that moment. And I always say to myself, well, this is really funny and it's completely stupid. I mean, now it's really completely stupid seeing my, my own age also. <laughs> it's like, what, 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 what do you see there? I mean, there's too many of those, there's not even a difference anymore. You know, it's like just in my head. But what I do in these moments or any other where I don't feel connected to myself, I try to feel this inner core 
and, and it's it's a bit spiritual actually or for many people probably very much mm-hmm. where you say there is this spirit in you you know this, or some call it soul or mm-hmm. whatever what, what's maybe eternal or maybe not I don't know but there is something in us that has nothing to do with the trouble of every day or with our thoughts and with our ego who is who is who wants this and that and who worries about this and that there's something in us if you really really listen deeply inside of you feel there's a very strong inner peace there's a calm zone somehow that never changes whatever happens it's always calm and posed and i have a certain connection with that the more you try to feel it the better you you connect to that mm-hmm. it's never changing actually it's really never changing it's it's as if having for me like another part of myself who's observing all the mess <laughs> that i create in the yeah. outer world <laughs> yeah or I that feel sometimes feel become victim of, you know, which is also one of these things, not staying a vic- victim in your in your mind. But there is something that like observes that, like with a little smile, like ah, there's just nothing. Forget it. It's not important. <laughs> it's nothing important. And and I connect to that, you know, just feeling this. It's like an energy, a very calm, peaceful energy. Then I feel like, okay, seriously, there's nothing to worry. It doesn't matter. It's not a problem. And I also realize how much many people, when you feel like they try to show themselves as being strong, as being the best ones, you know, showing off their ego, which is one of these, ego has become a negative word where it shouldn't be, but it has in that sense become a negative word. But when people show off something like that, that without going into, I don't go into this power play anymore at all. And I don't feel triggered by it. I feel triggered by it, but I realize it and I stop feeling triggered mm-hmm. by it because of that. Because then I just see, okay, it's just, it's just, they just need that for their ego, but I don't have to play that game. Mm-hmm. And why should I? It's just, if they need to do that, sometimes I really feel like all oh, the poor, poor people have to do that. You know, some, some of them might be nasty even, you know, or even not friendly. And then I just think really it's, um, it's it's not good for you. I mean, I don't really bother at the end because finally it's not really personal. We take many things very personal very quickly because we have some we, sure. we fill our self-doubts with that. And I stopped filling it actually. I have like a bit of a shield around that. And the shield is shield is not the right word because it's exactly the opposite. I stay open while not letting it harm me at all. It's just flowing in, flowing out on the other side, you know, like, yeah, that's their view of the things, but if they would like to, they could see things differently. But if they don't want to, then it's not my problem. I was reminded of my son who would stand there. He's turning three now and he would say, it's a messy one, isn't it? <laughs> so, and then that's exactly it. It feels in the moment a bit messy, but I would call it juicy. There are so many different Uh, things at play let it be ego the positive or the negative side of ego let it be our own insecurities let it be people just knowing how to deal with certain situations there's a lot going on and I think it starts with us leadership starts with us right what are we in control of how can we manage ourselves I love what you shared about the triggers the trigger is still there but I'm dealing with it differently and and I think it would be wonderful to understand a little bit how do you deal with the triggers of others? So what do I mean by that? It's wonderful that you can say, I have my shield now. This is not my stuff anymore. Used to be, but I've learned and I've grown. There are still individuals in the room who are leaders, who have an impact, let it be positive or negative or neutral on other people. Now they behave 
well, some of them behave in the way you described. What is it you do about that? Is is that the moment of shield, your stuff, not mine? Or is it the moment where you say you call it out in a certain way? How do you raise awareness about their own nonverbal as well as verbal communication? Usually, and I think this is content related because it's, I don't know if it's always the same content when people react like that. But I have that feeling the more and more I do trainings and work with groups, the more I realize that usually when people have such a reaction where you feel like they're really participating, you know, that they're, they're, they're even taking others with them on the negative side, potentially like resisting whatever's happening in the room and, and all of that, that it's always, they always come with a certain argumentation around, I know that already. Yeah. And anyway, um, somehow I don't need, I don't need to go deeper into this now or something like that. You know, there's always, I know it already. And what I then do, I try to give them space, you know, instead of not giving them space, because if you don't give them space, you could also, it's, it's, it's more comfortable or not, not anymore. In the past, it was more comfortable for me to kind of ignore that, try to, try to shy away from the conflict and avoid that. But I do now the opposite. I really, I ask them, you know, that they explain to the group and not because I want to expose them. I do it in a very friendly way. I say, yeah, great. Okay. So you know that already. Can you maybe say in your words what you think that is? And then they usually already start struggle a bit. Sometimes not. Sometimes they really know because they have read 5,000 different books around the topic and they know. <laughs> and then I ask them, okay, when did you apply that last time? And this is always where it stops, more or less, because most people know a lot of things, but they don't apply it. And this is why I do the training. It's about applying knowledge, not just having knowledge, because having knowledge is worthless completely if you don't apply it. You know, I mean, then you're just like a library who is never opening the doors. <laughs> it's a... And, and this is interesting because when it comes then to really applying that and sharing experiences around that, often then either it comes to a close and that means that the person even realizes then, oh, maybe, yeah, okay, maybe I have to learn something or maybe I shouldn't, you know, come up like that anymore because it's not really appropriate. Or the other way around, if they really applied it, amazing, you know, amazing. I will just say, hey, that's really amazing. It's absolutely great. You, and and tell, say them to the other group, have you seen how he or she applies that or has applied it? That's fantastic. Can some of you build on that and find another situation where for you this might work exactly what he or she did? And it's, you know, it's a li little bit like working with this kind of egos because they need a lot of care, love, attention, actually. This is why people are like that. And if you don't give it to them, they become more and more aggressive to finally get that attention. And by giving them the attention, you can really get these triggers lower. And, and I'm also not triggered anymore because it's becoming more of a collaboration. I know that with some people, there's always one or two in the group who stays for even full two days a little bit like that. You no, know, they're always a bit uh, the sting in the, <laughs> the training here and there. But at the end, it's not really an issue anymore because it's like, yeah, the positions were clarified somehow. And that's how I do that. And I think at work, when you have that situation with others, you know, where you feel there's this other person always tries to take the space, always saying things in a way that I look stupid or I look unprepared and they have everything better, know it better, have already done and so on and so forth. 
just don't try to be defensive. That's the wrong thing because that's the that's what they want to hear from you, being defensive, but rather giving them even more space, but in a way that you really ask them, get proof of what they are saying, you know, really understand and try to understand as well in that moment. Not to, It's not about provoking them. It's about understanding them, hearing, listening, because sometimes that's all they needed. And then suddenly you create a partnership and instead of creating uh, a competition. Right. And it's, it's, I would add to it, it's also important that you strike a balance between giving them the space. Yeah, I'm a true believer as well. People don't come to work just to be dicks and to take over the space. There's always something that lies underneath. Um, but the second part of that balance is about giving people the space who might not always get the space because of various reasons they are more introverted or they uh, need to think more about certain topics or they don't dare to speak up in front of uh, the more dominating people and so on and so forth so really recognize that and pay attention to the signals and give them the space too Mm. and um, that is a topic we definitely got to talk about a little bit more but there is one thing you highlighted before that I would like to um delve into for a moment at least and that's perfectionism Mm -hmm. um i don't know about you but i used to be a perfectionist i am to some extent still a perfectionist uh slash control freak but as you know when you run your own business good luck with that (laughs) being control freak all the time and trying to manage it all so perfectly well And I thank God I have a husband who calls me out on a regular basis with regards to that. So how do you balance yourself? Because that's a part of you, but at the same time, it can be a huge hindrance in success. Mm -hmm. Totally. I mean, perfectionism is like, because if you, if you want something to be perfect, I don't know, my next newsletter, my next podcast episode, you will never do one. I would never do one because it's never a hundred percent ready ever. Yeah. So that's the problem. Like you say, if you have your own business, (laughs) if you want to start anything, you would forever go on trainings, forever, maybe read books forever. I don't know, pull together your content or whatever you need to do. If you're a coach and a trainer, for example, and never go for it, never practice it actually. And um, well, what I do with that is that I'm, that I, I'm la- I laugh about it a little bit to myself. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's just doing it again thing. You know? I can hear you. I can hear you. No, no problem. It's like that. I know that. But 80% is enough. Now, when I say 80% is enough, I, I literally feel in my chest a shout out, like a feeling of being squeezed here, crying like, no, 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 it's not enough. <laughs> but no, what I do is I, well, I I have to consciously focus on the on what 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 good things are there already. You know, I consciously have to say, okay, I have here done. Let's say it's eighty percent or ninety doesn't matter. However, you qualify, but there's a big big majority of whatever I'm planning to do now that is actually really really good. That I really really like, and there's maybe a little part that is not. So I shift my focus back on the part that is really good. And I really catch myself also in all the wording that I do. You know, when somebody says to me, oh, it was, a, what, it was such a wonderful training. I loved it, the delivery and everything. And oh, I really force myself to not respond by yes, but. Mm. It is so hard because in the past, I always did that. You know, the project could have gone wonderfully well. 
But in my eyes, I always saw the last 5%, which were just not perfect. And uh, and if somebody would tell me then, wow, you led this project, it was so amazing, you know, huge event, how well organized, it's what a great way how you did that, I would always always respond by yes, but yes, but because all of these people helped me, which is good to give credit to teams as well, but not when you do it like that with this tone, yeah. Or um, yes, but you know, it was not that difficult. Typically, when I had a coach for a while, in every session he said to me. Do you hear, I have written it down, how often you said in this hour for every achievement we were talking about that actually it wasn't difficult, it was Mm -hmm. not difficult, because I diminished the achievement permanently, because I think, you know, it must be difficult to be an achievement. Mm -hmm. And understanding that, that you you give yourself this credit. So I needed to do a lot of things. I still do it from time to time, a few days per month here and there when I feel that I'm again too strict with myself or not not satisfied enough with myself. Let's say that not satisfied enough with myself. Then I just write down what I've achieved throughout the day in in the evening. I write down what I have created today is and what I achieved by this is that. And even the smallest little things, I take absolutely everything into account. And when you do that just for five, six days, you feel totally different about yourself. Mm. You realize again, hey, there's a mess of things that actually I achieved. If you love the word achievement, it's very powerful. So that you said that. <laughs> for some people, it's like achievement. No. But if you're somebody who, who always wants to achieve things, because you have that profile, I have that profile, then you're very sensitive around this word and, and, it, and it gives my I give myself credit for that. And this is the most important person. We always think we have to get credit from others. But if that does not help, you can get credit from 10,000 people. You will never feel the credit if you don't give this credit to yourself. Never. It's it's happening with you, with you and you. And if you get credit from no one, then you can still give credit to yourself and feel absolutely amazing about it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all it's all there. So finally, you have it all in your own hands. Isn't that good news? I mean, this is really good news. <laughs> but it's very complicated yeah. to access it sometimes. Yeah, we have our own beliefs, triggers, and it holds us back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I found that little exercise you recommended really useful. You know, what were my achievements, successes, high energy moments, whatever you want to call them. I I am exactly the same. I work with a coach continuously. And she would always say to me, well, congratulations to doing that. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? For me, no, that's not yet a woohoo celebratory, uh, celebratory moment. And she's like, can we please stop here for a moment? And through this coaching engagement, I started to... Um, to have a diary I don't know if you call a diary but it's three questions one of them is what am I grateful for what made me smile today for example and what goals did I work on or create a progress in and it takes me five minutes to do that but the one question that has the biggest impact is what makes you smile not the other ones because even though research says that we need progress or feel a sense of progress every single day in order to feel content and fulfilled, I noticed about myself that if I'm only focused on goals, on achievements, whatever it means for me, I get so caught up in it, in this hustling mentality, that I forget to look outside of that world and see what actually truly makes me smile, those teeny tiny moments in the day. Someone stopped the car to let me and my son cross the road, for example. Someone is kind at the checkout point in the supermarket. 
all of these moments. And suddenly you shift your energy when you do that on a regular basis. You notice positivity and you convey that positivity, optimism, positive energy to other people. And I find that impactful, important, and far healthier than anything else. But that's my personal experience with them. Yeah, I see. I see what you mean, and I think it's that is that is also what we completely underestimate is that you know in relationships, for example, we we might want to change the other because we think uh, I don't know. In, in my case, for example, my my husband is one of these super performance driven persons. Yeah who is also very anxious because he has also these high self-expectations all the time. It's like, oh, I have to do this and this and this. He can't stop. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's easy to get drawn into this, but because I'm also kind of like that, but not that extreme. And since I realized that when I connect to this inner calmness I spoke about before, mm -hmm. since I do that, he is so much calmer. And I didn't say anything to him about that. Not, it's far too spiritual for my husband. <laughs> we spoke recently with a friend about it. He was looking at me with big eyes like, <laughs> I know, for you, this is another world. You don't want to, you know, it's unnecessary if you don't, you don't need to. But it's really amazing how, how, how other people mirror, actually, your inner emotional state. Not what you think, you, you, we think of we can influence others also one of these negative words i don't think it's a negative word actually i think it's a good word because influencing positively can be very very good <laughs> but we can we always think we have to influence others by doing something whereas i realize we really influence others by being in a certain way if we are more peaceful or like you say more innerly satisfied because we think about the moments which make us smile or we permanently or often throughout the day connect to true gratefulness, gratefulness for these little moments. You mm -hmm. can also call it like that. I, I find a lot of power in gratefulness and a lot of peace in the little moments. I don't search for the big ones. I search for, I don't know, look outside. It's autumn. Wow, this tree is red now. How beautiful is that? I'm grateful. I just want to feel that and try to, try to feel it as well. And put these little nuggets throughout the day into myself to feel differently, to be differently. And that mirrors to other people. That is that is what really influences your environment and how others react to you. Mm -hmm. And that creates, if we bring it back now to the to the to the world of, of leading others or being in the office sometimes, where it's all stressful and you're quickly taken over by all the habits and the politics and all of that. If you can stay connected to these things, whatever your gateway to, to it is, you know, be it a smile, be it the gratefulness, be it some inner peace, something like that, you will just radiate differently and that will create different reactions in others. They will be different too. And you don't have to prepare for that. You know, you don't have to intellectually think about it or, I don't know, invent a concept. It's just really about more connecting to some of the essence of our lives, the good things, you know, these, these underlying calm things that are available to absolutely everyone. And everyone has the time, let's say, to look for three seconds, five seconds or 20 seconds. Wow, how long? <laughs> at something and being amazed. You know, opening your eyes again and look at your environment. There's always something beautiful to see. 
there's always, like you say, these little human contacts that we we have and, and really valuing them. A smile, like you say, in the supermarket of someone or having a nice word to someone at a supermarket. Mm-hmm. Just that happens to me much more often than in the past. In the past, I never spoke to people in the supermarket or in the train station. Or yeah. now I sometimes have to hold myself even back to say something nice to people, you know, when they, I don't know, whatever, the little situation, something comes to my mind. And it depends on the country where you are. People look at you very awkwardly, like, whoa, 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 what does she want from me? <laughs> or, or not. <laughs> but it's uh it's it's just so different. And I think it's this is this is the little moments in life that that we could all create to just connect to something different than what we do actually by connecting to our stress and all the mm. to-do lists that we have and all of these very tangible things. Oh yes. Not being religious, but amen to what you just said. <laughs> um, and actually, it brought up a reflection that leads us nicely into the change topic. Um, I spoke to a coaching client of mine a while ago. They have just been going through in their organization through huge reorganization, huge. And it came far earlier than planned. And she's not one of the top, top leaders. So therefore, there's just a restricted amount of knowledge that she has. So the, the changes hit suddenly from one day to another, a few team members in your team gone, no communication. The leader of the team, no communication. When visiting that particular office, he's a more global manager, doesn't set up any one-to-one meetings, no personal touches, no lunches, nothing. When being approached as to where they can meet, nothing. Communication even asked for from Uh, top leadership no we can't share anything which to a large extent i understand but i think communication wise there are areas of improvement for sure and the change is basically from the start embedded as negative ambiguous um, unsupported people worrying and getting quite anxious and just to build a connection to the previous topics if we could build some small moments of positivity, of kindness, of care, of connection, teeny tiny moments where we show we care, how much could change throughout this process? And I wonder what your experience is with change combined with communication and what communication is actually needed to help people deal with their change more positively, perhaps not, but in a more healthy way. Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalogue of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy-to-engage, on-demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash innerprofessional. There's so many facets to that, but I think the situation that you just described is, is certainly one of the most terrible ones you can imagine. It's, it's certainly the worst case scenario, how an organization can manage it. And I have worked for many organizations, also in my, in my corporate times when I was a corporate communications leader. So it means I was the person who was proposing what we communicate. And no matter where I was, and really no matter the size of the company, there was always a lot of pushback on being honest, 
on being open because many leaders in the top levels think that then they lose control. It's exactly the opposite that is happening, but they firmly believe that when they say too much or more than the absolute strict minimum, they will lose control. And it looks like as if there is such a huge fear of people then becoming emotional or expressing emotions that they just think that if we kind of ignore that and push it through as if it was just a project, whereas people lose their jobs and there's a lot of fear. I mean, a lot of, lot of personal situations and, and destinies nearly sometimes for some people, it feels like that, that they really, really push back on that because they don't want to get into this and they don't want to mingle with that. And there's this, there's a huge fear of losing control. And that is, this is why this is happening in my opinion. And it's totally wrong because I think that obviously if you have a company who is listed as a stock exchange, you have difficulties to announce certain things honestly. But I think, and I have never seen an organization being just blunt and bold like that. And now it would be really refreshing to see that once, you know, <laughs> that instead of speaking like politicians speak, you know, saying a lot of things without saying anything at the yeah. end um, <laughs> and having, having so much, so much reviewed and reviewed and reviewed the communication piece that goes out that there's nothing in there anymore that they would say and just be honest and say, hey, we have a situation. It is complex. It will be uncomfortable. We do really our best to make it as good as we can. We cannot deliver details. Why do you not say that instead of just not delivering them? We cannot deliver details. We are listed at a stock exchange. You know that. This is why it's sensitive. The best for our business, the best for the continuity, the best for maintaining a maximum of roles. This is what people want to hear. Yeah, Maintaining a maximum of positions of roles is that we we keep a certain secrecy around certain topics. We're afraid we have to do that, but it's in your interest. You know, speaking like that, instead of just saying nothing <laughs> or coming up with like fake stuff, you know, some insignificant things that they can share and then you blow that up. Whereas it's not the truth. It's not the core of the whole thing and everything feels fake. Mm -hmm. Because there's nothing nothing worse for people than, than feeling this insecurity that people are lying, that there's something underneath. There is there's like a monster that is hidden away from them that come can come up every moment. Yeah. Because that's what we fear when we have this ambiguity and this uncertainty and not knowing at all what's happening next. And I think it's about just reminding or not reminding, remembering really that human beings at the end speak to human beings. It's not a chatbot speaking to another chatbot, yeah. but that's how it sounds. Even if it has been done for that, like Bethany's when there were no chatbots <laughs> yet, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, and just remembering that speak just more more normally in a more conversational tone with more honesty and let people know that, there is a concern also for maybe, maybe those who are leading in terms of security, stability. It's not just about bottom line results, about growth, about higher margins, about all of these financial things that actually the senior, senior leadership is really interested in or the shareholders are interested in. And on that cost, they will do anything, you know, what's needed. But really also speaking about some other things, because to achieve money in that sense, to achieve return on investment or whatever, at the end, the companies or the organizations need to achieve stability. 
they need to achieve business continuity. And that is a totally different way of positioning a change because it sounds like the opposite, but it's not. A change is always there to continue the business at the end in a certain way because a change is often needed that the business even survives sometimes. Some companies yeah. are in really difficult situations. They have to do it. But positioning it like something that that creates a certain stability, maybe not for all, but at least for some, <laughs> instead of destroying it all in the worst case scenario of a company, would be a totally way of communicating it. And I know that I was in a company where it was really like, oh my God, if you don't do that, we go bankrupt. We had that situation. And they were so panicked of not saying it with the word bankrupt, but they were so panicked of, of, of just admitting that the situation was serious. Whereas, you know, people were ready to roll up their sleeves. But as this wasn't said, they were just thinking they're doing all of that just to get more money into their own pockets. Yeah. That's what people think then, that they just want to earn even more up there. And sometimes it's like that, certainly, but sometimes not. Sometimes it's really about making a decision to to, to survive as a company. And, um, and, and saying that, you know, hey, guys, we have this challenge. Let's maybe empower people more, bring them on board and say, hey, you might have ideas instead of thinking there's just a herd of sheep who run behind us if we tell them to do so and, and give them more empowerment and say, hey, maybe you have really ideas and we don't want to do it just to cut more budget because for the sake of cutting more budget, we want to do this because we want to get into healthy a healthy status here so that for as many people as possible, we can maintain this, this, this work and we can maintain your jobs for a longer period. Let's get into an action mode that we can all contribute. Also, the profiles who resist change would then be motivated because they know that they're doing it for stability. They don't do it for change. They do it ultimately to create stability. And this is what's, what never arrives here. When, when I speak to senior leaders, it's so hard to make them understand this way of thinking, get them out of that mode of, wow, we need to keep control by doing it like we always did. And even if they have understood it intellectually or rationally, they still have a hard time, a very, very hard time to act differently and to just be more open because they feel like for, for 20, 30 years, I was never open like that. I, I, I don't know even how to do that, actually. I, I don't know even how to, what people, people would think that I got crazy. I often hear that people would think that I have gone crazy. And I think, what? <laughs> no, they will think that you have become human. And that you are human too. <laughs> That's what they will think. Not that you're crazy. <laughs> you know, they might think that you're crazy today, by the way. Because... <laughs> so, but it's funny. I think this is, this is the illness of the corporate world, I think. This is so ingrained. And it's, it's such a fake control. I call it fake control. Because as you highlighted already, you are not going to be in control. You hold on to something very, very tightly, not realizing that people are literally escaping your area of, here's the word again, influence, impact. Um, and actually, I spoke to a leader the other day, hence why I had, had to laugh so much. And she is more proactively communicating, showing up as a real human. And she said to me, can you believe what my team member said to me? I'm like, yeah, what did they say? And she says, who are you? What have you done with the previous X, Y, and Z? And she's like, no, no, they got to that point. They, they, are really, they really don't recognize me. And I'm like, but isn't that just lovely? What they say to you, they really appreciate it. And I think you highlighted it so nicely. We come to forget and to unlearn who we really are and how we communicate. 
I wouldn't give a business plan to my husband if a change needs to happen. I talk to him or we talk together about impacts, implications, plans, risks, and all of that, but very openly. But we would also in between ask the question, and how do you feel about it? How often do we ask that question to people around us and even people we don't surround ourselves all the time? How do you currently feel? And then there's the second part of communication. It's not just communicating, telling people something. It's listening. How often do we actually take time for real, real listening in those change processes and beyond change? How important is it? So you as an expert in comms, in change, in working with leaders, what's needed to successfully lead change? Because as you said so nicely in the beginning, it's ever-present. Mm-hmm. It's ever-present. I think what is really important is to know your people. Yeah, Know your people. I mean, if you're CEO of 20,000 people, you cannot know 20,000 people. Yeah, But at least be then aware of how differently people are in terms of their basic inner wiring. I mean, there are many, many types of personality styles models out there. I use one. I don't have to explain it now in detail. It would go beyond. It's not necessary. But let's say there are four different personality types. And just be aware where roughly you are and how you then logically communicate because you will communicate out of that personality type. If you're someone who is very achievement-driven, performance-driven, very um, a person who gives direction really, who might love status and power, many leaders have this, this ingrained, not only, but part of them is very strongly in that area quite often. And then you communicate to people who strongly need security and stability, who are very detail-oriented, who are pretty analytical, who are super, super reliable. They're super important because they are very reliable. They never overpromise, for example. That's a totally different profile from you. You might you might have both in you. I have both in me, for example. That's my two main traits, and they conflict with each other inside of me mm-hmm. as well. But that is the thing. If you really want to lead change, understand who you are first. That's that's more important. First, 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 really understand who you are. Many leaders run immediately into understanding the others, but they don't even know who they are. So really start with yourself first. I, my trainings are always say, it's like in the airplane when the masks are falling down. You help yourself first. And then you help others because if not, you can't help others very long anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you you need to be clear about your own setup first, your own relationship to that change. You might hate that change. So how can you then bring people on board for it? What a stretch will that be? Will you just start lying about it? That's what most people then do because they don't see another another solution. So instead of doing that, you need to understand what is my relationship to that change? Okay, I fear it. Why do I fear it? What's behind that for me? Okay, understand, first of all, why you have that resistance. You know, what, what is what is your fear? And admit it to you. You don't have to admit it to, any, admit it to anyone else, but to yourself at least. It's already a big deal for many. And when you have done that, turn it around and think, okay, what could be in that for me, in this change for me? Maybe at the end, I might learn something in a very specific area and be specific also to yourself to give yourself a feeling of what's in it for me potentially in here, even if it's very uncomfortable. Can I motivate myself for that? Can I maybe on the long run create something, at least for some people, and I can give myself a motivation for that? And instead of just thinking, oh God, I will lose half of my team. I have to tell them that they are laid off or a nightmare, which it is. 
can I turn it around into another way and say, okay, I have to do it anyway. If I don't do it, someone else will have to do it in my place. You know, they could fire me and hire someone else who is laying mm -hmm. off my people. Maybe it's better that I do it, but it's not me really who wants it. But at least I can do it the way I want to do it. You know, I can put maybe the human side, the care side, the like you said, the listening, the asking how you feel about it. Most shy away so much from that when they have to bring over these different discussions that they don't ask because they think I can't manage it myself. So prepare yourself mentally that you can manage because you can, but you have to prepare yourself, especially if you're someone who usually puts a big, big barrier when it comes to emotions at work. So that's one thing. And the other is really so important. And I think this is, this is more about the, the changes that are not like we are laying off people, mm -hmm. but more these these changes every day, new change project, new ways of working, I don't know, a new process. And people have, again, embraced the role differently, do different things. So that's 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 big enough as a change most oftentimes. Sometimes when people have to just change their offices, it's a huge oh, yes. dilemma. Yeah? Yes. We all know that. Huge dilemma. <laughs> because 70% of people need stability. They this, this is their main inner driver. This is why an office move is such a pain. <laughs> Yeah, uh, simple things like that. Or you change the coffee brand sometimes. It's incredible what, you know, I mean, these little things. But what we, what I hear often is that these profiles of people who are more introvert, more analytical and resistant to change, actually, that we see these profiles as not being suitable anymore today because we want agile profiles and growth mindset profiles and all of that. And so the people who are like that, who are not like that actually, because they are more introvert and more you know, analytical, detail-oriented, security-focused, they feel like I cannot stay like I am because if not, I will not be seen like a talent. So I have to, I have to kind of yeah, fake it that I love agility and I do this and I embrace this project, you know, this firm is the way, embrace it. Whereas they don't, obviously, mentally, emotionally, they don't at all. And I think it's important to turn the situation around and to see, okay, I have many people like this in my team. I may be myself like that. And instead of feeling not good enough anymore or not appropriate in times of change and in times of artificial intelligence popping up and creating even more change and probably dramatic change in some areas, instead of not feeling appropriate, understanding how important I am because I am like that not despite of and why are the team members that are the most resistant today will be my biggest allies once the change is running because bring them into motion is difficult indeed because they fear the unknown it's a step out of the comfort zone and and this is difficult but if you give them a reason why i have to do it that fits to their needs like i said before it creates more continuity in the midterm it creates a lot of hustle and chaos now but it creates more continuity. Focus on that one. That's the goal. That's our goal. We want to create continuity. We want to create some stability again in our processes. Once we get through that very stormy area, imagine like a little boat, then we get into cooler waters. <laughs> and, and, and really understanding and telling them, and I need you to make it run. Because it's not the person who will embrace the change in a second, who will finish it until the very end. That's not the person. The people who will really make it happen at the end because they do the job, once they start doing it, they will continue doing it. Yeah. They make it happen. And it's paradox because actually people who resist change most are the ones who finally make it happen. They don't launch it, but they make it happen. Yeah. 
And I think we should just value these profiles in that sense very actively because then people, again, will come in with their strengths instead of hiding what they see as a weakness and showing off as someone they are not. And it's all really, it's it's unhealthy like that, yeah? It could be much healthier if we, if you see the boring profiles, you know, that's what I heard very often, if you like boring people. <laughs> Do you, are people it's calling it boring value. profiles? Yeah, I heard that already. People say, yeah, sometimes it's boring or slow, you know, they think people are boring or people are slow. Mm-hmm. Well, what are their qualities? Because they have qualities which you might not have at all. And fortunately, they do, <laughs> because if not, many things that we have would not be here today. Definitely not. This is the change that I want to change or that I want to implement and make it happen in this in this world out there. You know, a, a real mindset shift, uh, not from this kind of versus growth mindset, all of us. No, that's not the point. Or it's maybe a different type of growth mindset, but understanding that there are people who will never have by nature a growth mindset. But they are valuable, valuable people for making things happen. And we should treat them like this because it's the majority of the world population. And we will not change that. (laughs) I I had this moment of, ah, I took a deep breath earlier on because I had two realizations. The first one is I used to be someone who didn't call people boring. I might have been perceived as the boring one, actually, but definitely a slow. You are slowing down processes. And there is almost a perception in um, I don't want just want to call out the corporate world. There's a perception out there that things have to move fast, fast, fast all the time. And and the other realization was for me that how good is it to have people around you who stop you in the moment, even though it feels painful perhaps in that moment, because that's not what you want to hear, that there might be risks, that there might be reasons why not everybody wants to come with you onto that journey. However, they stop you to assess the risks to assess the process because we are running so quickly into change move 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 because by the next quarters we need to see the results and that applies to change of processes and so on as well that we don't think that we don't look to the left to the right upwards downwards and really check properly what's going on and i'm not saying this has now to delay the whole process by year absolutely not but there is a nice middle ground mm-hmm. and these individuals are so helpful when it comes to those risk-checking moments. And I certainly, as a leader, haven't always utilized them in the way I should have, actually, because I was focused on pace. And it's so important. But now you can also, I am pretty sure, put yourself into the shoes of a leader, given that you have been there, who has to achieve a certain target, who may not have the fullest support, by the way, on their side as well, were just sent off to deliver. And now you have people around you who say, no, I actually don't agree. I'm not on board. So what can you practically do in those moments to say, I'm becoming more inclusive. I see the strength in those profiles as you highlighted. And I unlearn a few unhelpful habits. It's, it's an investment of time in the beginning. And with beginning, I mean, three or six months, you really have to work differently with your team. However, how many, at least with your direct reports, for sure. I mean, with 40 people in the team, you can't do that. But usually people have between five and 10, 10 is already a lot, direct reports. And really get to know them and their motivations in the situation. You know, when you feel, okay, they don't like that. 
you know, what ask them questions a bit like a coach would do, ask open questions. Okay, what would be an ideal situation? Aha, if we had more time and money, often that's the thing, yeah, more time, more money, whatever. Okay, what would you do then? And so you can create an outcome, which or they create actually an ideal scenario that they would like to achieve. And then you can come back to the reality then and ask them, okay, you want this or that. Or the person will say, oh, I could sleep well at night then. Because then I had more, I don't know, stability. Let's stick with this very classic thing. Yeah? I'd have more stability and it would feel safe in a way. Okay, so what can you do in your current role now to create more security in this shaky project? Is there maybe something where you can you can do about this? You know, empower them, give them the keys. Because now it's more like you as a leader, I did that as well. Like you said, driven by being at a certain pace and oh, I have to quickly implement a maximum of things. You you have tendency, or I also had that tendency to rather reinforce the need for the for the speed, yeah, the need for that pace and why we have to do that and what this will bring. And, and I don't know, also divisibility as a team and blah, blah, blah. Not compelling to half of your people or even more. <laughs> so they're reinforcing what you might think is, is the point. Ask them what they would like to have and how they can create it in the current environment. And that takes time because it's not like you have a team meeting, you drop them what, what are the next steps and they all will do what they have to do and they will all immediately contribute with their ideas and everything works fine because it doesn't. Like you said, there may be some who just like, oh, I am not interested, yeah? Arms crossed, sitting there like, I don't want to hear about this. Mm. And in, instead of just yeah, pushing like, yeah, you have to, you have to, you have to take the time. You need to, you need to invest some time. Even if you think you don't have it, you need to take it. It pays off definitely afterwards. And find out how can you empower that person to create what they need in this project. And if it's about more stability, well, give them a task and say, okay, so I know that you are, you are super good in creating a plan. Yeah. And it's sticking to a plan. Why wouldn't you create for us a plan and be the person who really also cares that we all, all the guys who are more chaotic than you are, <laughs> yeah, to stick to it? That would be super helpful. And we give you that role openly. We say, hey, this person has this wonderful quality that they help us to stick to a plan. You have that wonderful quality to be very creative and come up with new ideas every three hours. <laughs> Fantastic. How can we create a synergy? Yeah, building on these very different strengths. There's one person with the plan. And you have to, as a leader, really understand, yeah, I have to, I have to position it in the same way and with the same enthusiasm than I do maybe for a profile that I I am closer to. You know, if you're closer to the innovative and, and pacey profile, it's very easy to value that. It's much harder to value the slower profile, let's call it like that. Yeah. And you have to value it really. And then you will see how things change. But it takes time because you have to really find out what people think. If you don't know it now, mm -hmm. you have to go out and have one-on-one -on -one discussions, a lot of one-on-one -on -one discussions. And not just the formal ones about, you know, goals were achieved, yes, no, what are next objectives? Not these ones. How do you feel? Like you say, how do you feel? What would be if you could have all, you know, what's needed? What would you do then? And why won't you do you want that? Ah, there's always an ultimate outcome behind something conceptual more like security that comes with more money or more time, for example, people think. But then they realize it can maybe create some of that without more money and more time. I can maybe create something and just start start doing it. And you will see that it's a bit like a puzzle piece. 
after like six months when you have a team where you have really cared about the people and yes you have you had less time to micromanage than the tasks because you started really managing people <laughs> and not tasks you will see that there is much more autonomy and things start to to well to work together there's collaboration between profiles who have not been very collaborative before with each other and that will then in turn give you a lot of time back yeah. a lot of the time that you have invested and if you're passionate about leading um lately i hear quite a few individuals saying i don't think leadership is for me which is fair as well by the way mm -hmm. I, I rather have people realize it's not for them than feeling pushed into the role they don't enjoy and the people will notice very quickly but anyway if you like it you will actually notice a different sense of content. It's more enjoyable to do the work together, um, to have healthy conflicts, to move things forward together. It, there's a real sense of togetherness that I thoroughly enjoyed once the penny had dropped. Mm -hmm. And it took a bit of time to make it drop, I have to admit. <laughs> and so therefore also think about the return on investment that you mentioned, Ulrike, for you. Mm -hmm. as well as for the entirety and that goes beyond achieving your goals and um, getting goals achieved and done mm -hmm. absolutely and you say something very important because it's really always about finding an intrinsic and genuine motivation inside of yourself for whatever you do for the little tasks but also for the big ones often we try it only for the big ones and we forget that all the little steps to get there we are not motivated at all <laughs> because it's not because you're motivated by the big goal that you ultimately do the small steps. That's, that's also one of these things that we, you know, we don't do that. We have to be clear that we need to motivate ourselves very consciously also for some of the small steps if, if you catch yourself that you procrastinate on something, mm. but that you still have not set up these, I don't know, uh, monthly meetings that you have planned already for a while. You have still not done it. Why have, what, what is holding you back? You know, because you have no motivation for it for a reason. Even if you have a bigger thing in mind, and you don't do it so we need permanently i think it's really about having just more self-awareness take a step back every day even in the in the stress and the hustle and everything and make it like a self-inventory where i'm at you know how do i feel today that's what i do every morning also just like this inventory how do i feel ah oh, there's a bit of anxiety wow there's today is, is a huge nervous i'm really nervous or wow today i feel very peaceful wow it's like clear clear blue sky inside of myself whatever it is doesn't matter it's not about changing it it's just about being aware that's the first thing and you need yeah. for that 30 seconds or a minute i mean if you get used to it you need maybe 30 seconds is already a lot because then you can really feel the three or four emotions that you can kind of perceive because it's often a mix of two or three things. Do just that. I mean, for a start, I think it's really good because we even don't have that. And that from time to time, really stepping back when you feel, and I think a good trick, an easy one for all of those who never did that or listen to their thoughts and all of that, it's complicated. Just, just feel your body from time to time. Do you feel relaxed and good? Are you have or do you have a bad feeling? Like I don't know, you often we feel like narrow in the throat, or you know, a pressure on I the chest, that. or mm. a pain in the back, or you know, these kind of feelings. Mm. And you have that, you have a lot of negative emotions and something in your mind, in your in your thoughts that is going on that is creating that. So just if you feel not relaxed and fine in your body, just reflect a bit. Take two minutes while you take a little bio break. Maybe I don't know. You go out and just what is it that makes me feel like that? 
And you might realize, oh my God, actually I'm already panicking because in the background, I have that project meeting in mind that happens next week and that that's already stressing me here. Gosh, that's what it is. And if you create that awareness, you will be much, much more able to be balanced in your ways of being, back to the being, because this is not then, I don't know, triggering or managing your way of being all the time because you're aware, ah, you can park it then somehow because you know it's because of this. But it's not because of the situation I'm currently in that I'm stressed like that. So I don't have to be aggressive, stressed, anxious, or make maybe stupid decisions in that moment because actually the thing is coming from something else. If you have that awareness, you will be again much more detached and you can then look into your situation where you really are and feel like, oh, in that situation, I actually feel okay. It's all fine. That's not the problem. So let's just be here. And there's so much we could speak about, about the power of now, you know, oh, being yeah. here, being present, <laughs> being now and not being triggered permanently by 500 really? other sorrows and things that will pop up next week or in three hours or whenever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? People don't have to be fine. Uh, I I go back to what you said earlier. You can say, I'm nervous about something too. Yeah. Okay. If you lead teams, you might not want to say it every minute of the day. But don't make things up. You mentioned it earlier on. And if you don't feel fine, the most powerful leaders I've worked with, who I built trust to very quickly, were those who said, actually, today is a bit of a shitty day, actually. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I'm not feeling fully myself. And I knew that this person became a fully human being to me in the perception. But I also knew I can either offer my support or I give this person a bit of space. What would you do with any friend in your life who feels a bit down? right? You will act in a moment according to what you believe they need. You might ask what they need or how you can support. We need more of them at work. And that closes a bit of the cycle to the people who might be the slower or the boring ones, by the way. The, the one point that I wanted to add to it is you may have people who will not come on board easily or at all. Who are not up for it. And it might be, it turn into a far more serious conversation down the line. Far more. But what Ulrike shared with you in terms of centering the power of now, and indeed we could talk about that more, uh, is so important to deal with that negativity as well. Where you say, it's not about me. It is their choice. Let's see how we can deal with that. Again, you have a different impact on others because you are more centered in yourself. And if you get too caught up in, this is all about me, well, this is the energy you convey. It's not going to help be helping you or the rest of the team. And let's be real. Not everybody will come on board during change. It depends on the change. It depends on how often a lack of transparency was happening in an organization, how much the trust has already broken or has to be rebuilt. It depends. So it's about figuring that out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think it's about a level of expectations. Yeah. And you can very well say, 80% again, also here, is enough. <laughs> if I decide it's enough, that's it. And with that, I'm happy. And with that, I have already achieved something absolutely marvelous. And I can be very satisfied with myself. Clap your, tap yourself on your shoulders <laughs> and, and, and be just proud of the little achievements every day. Before we come to an end, I do have one more question for you. And it also entails this famous number 70 that you mentioned before 
On your website, it says 70% of mistakes in organizations happens or is down to uh, lack of communication or miscommunication. I can't remember fully now. And I wonder what are, let's say, the top three, four tips for leaders to avoid mistakes through communication? I would say the first one is don't think that if you believe it's crystal clear that it is. If you understand your message, that doesn't mean anything. (laughs) First tip, it's not because you think it's crystal clear. And sometimes a one-liner in an email can create a huge mess, a lot of misunderstandings. It doesn't have to be a complex message of one page. It's just one line can create a huge mess. So don't believe that things are crystal clear just because you think it is. Building on that, the second thing is what we said before, listening. If you don't change anything in your way of communicating, because I don't have time for these, any kind of new methods or whatever, just listen for understanding instead of listening to reply. If you just do that, then you make already a difference in your terms of listening. Because we listen to reply because we want to be fast with our reply. We want to immediately have the arguments in mind. We want to immediately come up with a very intelligent question. Yeah. So listen to understand. And really, really very consciously grab yourself when you have these things coming up like, oh, I will say that. No, I should say that. Oh, no, I will, no, I will say that. If you really can, get, get, then take a little note and listen again. You know, but really try to listen to understand. Focus on that person. And you will see that you will realize much more things. Hear the words they say. Listen when you can, because you have people in front of you. Online, it's a little limited, but still you see something. Listen with your eyes. Look at people. We all have a super decoder of body language inside of yourself ourselves. We just don't use it very much, at least not consciously. But if you just take care of it, is, is that really, you know, you know, is, is it congruent or is that person actually looking very sad if you look deeper into it or listen to understand? So that's second one. And the third one is really then about tailor your message to the audience. Because as number one said, if you think it's a good message, doesn't mean it's a good message. Listen to understand who is in front of you. Who, what do they under, What language do they speak? Yeah, in terms of dictionary words that are compelling for them, words that they need to hear, words that land or words that, that threaten them. Your words might threaten them because they need other words. So understand who you have in front of you, and then you can really speak and slip into the shoes of another person. That's applying emotional intelligence when you communicate. And this takes effort because you cannot just be on your position comfortably and do everything out of your position. It takes a lot of effort to get out of that position every day in every single conversation, all the time. And learning that, that's the art of really good communication. Mm -hmm. And uh, sorry that I have to add one thing, but that's what you reminded me of just now, or your words did. When you do that in this virtual world, can you please really focus on the conversation? Switch off those damn notifications. Put the phones to the side. I have my phone always nearby because I'm often alone. My son is in daycare. I want to know if an emergency happens. But it's on silent. It only pops up for those reasons. And everything else, done, switched off. That's how you show that this conversation matters. And it it is so important in this fast-paced, highly distracted world, we get distracted easily. 
Mm-hmm. And we don't dare to switch it off. We feel we have to be on all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And we do a disservice to one another. Mm-hmm. And and we have, you know, even if you explain to people, I need to have an eye on this or that, they still feel rejected mm-hmm. because instinctively we do that. It doesn't help that we know why the person is not looking mm-hmm. at us or looking at the other screen on the side all the time. Mm-hmm. That doesn't. We know it by our, with our brain knows it. Our heart says, "You're rejected. You're rejected. You're rejected." Mm-hmm. And it's we, we are just still the ancient human beings from twenty, forty thousand years ago. There's nothing changed in our brain. We we were not. You know, we are still not at all evolution-wise programmed to, to communicate via Zoom or something else at all. Yeah. And we are making up all the rest of the messages. So the less people feel you, because when you're in a room, we all know that now also after COVID, how different it actually is to be with a person in a room or to have it on a screen, no matter how big that screen yeah. might be. It's still different, very, very different because our senses are we have like I said in the beginning don't listen only with your ears you listen with your eyes and somehow you you listen with your body or your instincts I mean you feel resistance you feel joy you feel buy-in from people you feel if someone is friendly or positive towards you or somebody is negative you feel that you feel it immediately and just connecting more to that and also listening to that and using it in your conversation that's something that we can relearn instead of just being in our thing uh, yeah and when it's online, it's much more difficult. And I think what I encourage leaders also to do always online, just give a sign of life. Because like you say, <laughs> most people, when you have 10 people in a room or five in a virtual room, all poker face. If the camera is on, the worst thing is camera is not on. But if camera is on, seriously, all poker face. How often people are nodding or smiling, you know, I mean, the things you do yeah. in a room, in a room, you do that. In a room, people do not see poker face. They don't. Because in a room, you feel, you know, you you automatically answer by nonverbal cues. Yeah. But online, you don't. You sit there. Mm-hmm. And it's horrible because people have absolutely no feedback. They don't even know if you're listening at all because you could also read your emails and it looks exactly the same. And that is the insecurity that is coming in. So just be more human also online, you know, nodding, smiling from time to time, a thumbs up or I don't know, something that people see you agree, you disagree, you, you I don't know, something, yeah. It's so, uh, these online meetings, I always think it's it's incredible how dead they look, yeah? Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. it can certainly be the case, but as you just <laughs> said, there are a few teeny tiny steps you can take to change the dynamic ever so slightly. Yeah. yeah. But it requires one person to make a start Absolutely. and a leader to role model it as well. I guess so too. And it's it's really funny because like you say, <laughs> everybody spoke of and you start, yeah, yeah, nodding and yeah, smiling and being all happy and making these more friends. Like, What's wrong? Has she drunk a half bottle of wine already? What's going on? You know? <laughs> but I think, yeah, the more we digitalize this world, the more we need as a counterpart, more humanity. Yeah. Logical, because we need a certain amount of humanity. And if we don't get it, because it's, everything is digitalized, we meet people by a distance, which is very practical. I mean, for me, it's also super practical in my business, obviously. But the more we need to balance it out by being just more human in other areas or in specific situations, we yeah. need to bring that back. And that's great connection. And that creates good leadership. So that's very back and closing the loop to leadership again. <laughs> 
Ah, thank you so much. I mean, I, I indeed think we could add another 90 minutes here to this conversation. Um, but it was wonderful close off that loop back to leadership with the word humanity. So how are you all going to bring humanity back into this virtual world and into your leadership? That's my question, because, you know, viral change, it requires one person to pass these wonderful behaviors on to another one. That person copies it in their own authentic way, passes it on and so on and so forth. And we can create some wonderful change step by step in this lovely world. But... We have the expert here with Ulrike, so therefore I would highly recommend that you get in touch with her to learn more from her and with her. But Ulrike, you've got to let us know, how can people get in touch with you? Yes, so they can get on a free call with me just to speak about you know, what the issue is, what they want to learn, what they want to do. can be for trading, can be also for one-on-one coaching. And you can find all the links on my website. Wherever you go, you'll find that. UlrikaSeminati.com or on my LinkedIn. Just send me a direct message and, and we get into a conversation. And what is a bit special right now, I am creating a new podcast, which is called Leading Change Conversations. And I'm looking for leaders you can be also a very young leader. You can have a very small team. It doesn't matter. You can also be a project leader. That's also fine. Where you have to lead change. And it's it's about a live coaching of 30, 40 minutes where you have a coaching with me. It becomes a podcast episode. And what you will get is a list of very tangible outcomes and action steps, two or three probably, that you can take right away afterwards to help you to lead that change and to bring the people you need to bring on board for the right. So I'm really looking for guests. I'm excited for this new project, which is coming up really right now. So I'm doing the first recordings in the upcoming weeks. <laughs> Fantastic. I think that sounds marvelous and needed. And Ulrike, I'm pretty sure quite a few people will come to you. I mean, there's so much change going on. And I hear from so many new experience, it doesn't matter, leaders who say, I don't know how to deal with that. This is an opportunity to get expert coaching live on a podcast. Uh, and that's exciting. So take yourselves out of the comfort zone, step into this great conversation and get all these helpful nuggets from Ulrike. Ulrike, it has been such an immense pleasure talking to you and getting your insights, learning from you here and having a really nice and fruitful conversation. And I really appreciate your humanity. So thank you so much for it. Yes, thank you for having me. It was a wonderful discussion. <laughs> and like you said, we could have gone into so many different topics, such a vast area. But at the end, as a last word, I think everything is much simpler than we think it is because mm. we all have it already inside of us and we just have to allow ourselves to give access to it. So, yeah. <laughs> thank you for giving us access to your heart, your brain, your body, even to a certain extent, feeling with you into your body. And I'm encouraging all of you to do it because Ulrike said it starts with you. So how can you get more centered, more aware of what's needed from you and for you as well? I can't wait to hear from you, but also to share some um, more insights with you in two weeks time. Until then, take good care. Bye bye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
Amazon Music, or my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Perhaps you have some ideas for additional topics, something that you're truly curious about. Please do leave your review on Apple Podcasts as well. It would mean the world to us. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Take good care. Bye.